0: Welcome back to The Caption Life, and in this mini-episode TV review, we have a double feature for you. We're going to talk about episodes 1 and 2 of Marvel Studios Hawkeye that dropped on November 24th. There's so much to break down here from the inspiration they get from the comics to call-outs and Easter eggs, and just some other weird and fun stuff. Also, there will be spoilers and theories, so if you haven't seen it yet and you don't want it to be spoiled for you, come back to this episode later. Let's jump right in, bro. Life, a podcast about how comics and pop culture impact life in society and vice versa. I am Sean, your co-host and editor of the show. Before we get started with this episode, please hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on and follow us on social media at Caption Life on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Reddit. You can also find out more information and past episodes at thecaptionlife.com. So it's the moment we've been waiting for. November 24th, we got not one, but two episodes of the new Hawkeye series starring Jeremy Renner and Haley Steinfeld. I am very excited about the show. I've been looking forward to it all year, probably more than any of the other shows that Marvel put out there. WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Loki. This is the one that I've been looking forward to all year. Plus, when we saw the first trailer that's going to be centered around Christmas, I am a huge sucker for anything for the holiday. So I was very, very excited and just added on to that excitement I already had. And also the trailer gave a lot of diehard vibes for all of us. So I think we're all excited that this was going to be an action packed movie that was based around the holidays. So uh, before we get started, I just want to share my own personal connection to Hawkeye and to say that I never grew up. Um, Knowing who Hawkeye was, in fact, I don't think I really was aware of who Hawkeye was until um, I played the video game, the arcade game growing up, but then got a better understanding of him when the Marvel movies came out and uh, showed Hawkeye, Jeremy Renner. so I personally, growing up, never had a connection. But a few years ago, I started reading some of the comics of Clint Barton and Kate Bishop. And I absolutely loved reading them, especially the fact that Clint Barton um, is hard of hearing. He did have hearing loss in the comics at one point and went completely deaf, had to learn American Sign Language. If you don't know me, I actually was born with hearing loss. So this is something that really resonated with me. And so I was really excited to hear that they were going to do a show this year. So, um Another thing that I want to share with you all before we go right into episode one is that as you are watching the show and you are seeing the promo posters, it is very clear that this is heavily inspired by the Hawkeye series run that was written by Matt Fraction. It was illustrated by David Aha, and was also colored by Matt Hollingsworth. If you don't know much about that story, I recommend that you go to your local comic store and you just go and tell them that you want the Hawkeye series from Fraction Aha, and Hollingsworth. They know exactly what you're talking about. And it's about a collection of 22 issues and a lot of the story that you'll see in this Hawkeye series is just straight from the comic book and even the the panels and the compositions are really reminiscent of as well, too. So the characters we get from the comic, the location, the fact that it's in New York is based from the comic book run. Uh, Lucky the Pizza Dog, which right now in the show, they just call Pizza Dog. But in the comics, he's called Lucky. We see him. and was introduced uh, to him by Matt Fraction and David Aha and the Tracksuit Mafia. And you're going to see there's a lot of influence from the comic book. So I will put a link to that comic book run in the show notes. So make sure you check that out if you're interested in reading that. I highly recommend that you read it, even if you're not a comic book fan, if do you really like this show, I recommend reading this because I think you'll really like the book as well too. So now, although they borrowed heavily from the comic book, from the comic series from Fraction and AHA and Hollingsworth, they do make significant adjustments and, Personally, this doesn't bother me because I see the MCU as its own universe. And so I'm fine with them making those changes, um, you know, changing up the origins, the characters, etc. So I'm not somebody that's personally bothered by that. And I think it makes a lot of sense for them to do that in this show as well, too. So, for example, in the comic book series I just mentioned by Fraction and Aha is Clint is actually not married. He doesn't have a family. He's actually a bachelor. And in the story, you actually see him have um, a fling with another person who's actually associated with the tracksuit mafia as well. And that becomes a running joke in this series. And so Clinton's very different from the uh, comic book run that we see in the MCU. Um, He's actually divorced. He was married to Bobby Norris, a.k.a. Mockingbird, which if you're a fan of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you probably saw her um, in that show as well, too. So from the comics, we know that Clint actually married and divorced – Mockingbird, Bobby Norris. Um, Kate and Clint actually already knew each other um, from the comic book run that this is inspired by, so this wasn't a Kate origin story, the way that the show is going to be, but I'm actually very excited that the series is going to be focusing on Kate Bishop because I think she's just going to do so well with this, and I think everyone's going to really like her, and I know I'm rooting for Kate Bishop, and I love the fact that Haley Steinfeld is playing her. I I remember hearing that she was a possible runner for the, for the role, and I just thought that she would do a great job. I've been a big fan of her ever since her portrayal in True Grit. I thought she was just an amazing actress, and I think she's going to do a great job with Kate Bishop. And And so far, I haven't been disappointed at all. So... Okay, so let's get right into the show and let's remind ourselves that this is actually taking place December 2024. So this is about a year and a half after Endgame. Okay. So opening scene, it starts off with a over with a establishing shot of New York City and it says 2012. And how many of us didn't automatically jump to the fact that we know this was going to be the Shatari attack? from the movie Avengers, right? I mean, we always think New York 2012, that's immediately what we go to in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is this Atari attack and the first Avengers movie. So I think we already know from that establishing shot and from the year that this is going to be connected already. So we get a glimpse of two Kate Bishops in her room and we see trophies of fencing archery with a bow in her room and I want you to remember this because I want to bring this up but she does have a bow hanging up in her room Um, it's not prominently seen but if you look past the trophies you see that there is a bow in her room and then you'll also see that she has a photo frame which looks like there's hexagon shapes um, that makes like a little flower around the frame this is actually a call out to uh, David Aha. he actually illustrated a few of the covers with this hexagon style here so this is definitely a call out to his style there and then let's go ahead and jump forward to the shataria I mean, you probably if you've seen the show already, you've seen the episode. You know that you know there was a um, there was a fight between her parents and everything. But let's go ahead and jump into the Shatari attack, and we see that the Shatari blown off a side of their penthouse, and one of them is coming after Kate. Kate is standing there watching them, and then all of a sudden, arrow hits the Shatari glider and explodes. And Kate sees Clint Bishop doing his thing with the bone arrow, where he's kicking all the Shatari off the building. He's shooting them with arrows, and then the famous most popular scene is where he jumps off the roof and he shoots the arrow up so he can swing right back into the building and all the while you see Kate Bishop staring at him and is just in awe of what he was able to do. Now what I love about this scene if you're not familiar is that this is actually inspired by a Hawkeye series but not the one I mentioned before. This is actually from uh, what's called the all new Hawkeye that's written by Lemire and uh, is illustrated by Perez and Herring and so they tell us Similar story to that, where Kate was actually inspired by Hawkeye because he saved her life. And so it's not in the exact same way, but it's enough resemblance that you could tell that they took this origin story from this comic run. So it was a great way to incorporate that. And I'll put a link to the show notes if you're interested in learning a little bit more about that run. And so that is a different one from what the show is based off of, but it's still a very good series if you're interested in this. So. Now, before this whole scene happened, Kate's parents are nowhere to be seen. and They're gone for a while. And this is just really weird because, you know, as a parent, if something like that's happening, the first thing I want to do is go find my kid. And you don't hear, you know, Eleanor or Derek yelling for her or anything like that and so it took a long time so then maybe they were just using that time to set up you know Kate's scene of being inspired by clint i mean who knows but i thought it was really odd that it took them a long time for eleanor to find kate so um we go to the funeral scene we notice that dad is dead or is he Here's the thing. I don't think he is. I think it's kind of odd for them to kind of set this up for her to have a really close relationship to her father just to come off. And the comics actually switched up where the mom had died or they believed that she was dead. Then she came back a little bit later. And the dad has always been alive. And Kate grew up with the dad and had animosity towards him. And he was a, a rich elite and that she was never a big fan of that. So I think that One theory I have out there is that the dad might still be around and might still be alive. So I'm not going to be surprised if he is, if he isn't, you know, that's fine. I think this still works. I just think it's a little bit odd how they set this up. And I think with all the other things that we see later on in the episode, it's kind of hinting towards that. So um, the one thing that I thought was really weird in the funeral scene is that when Kate and Eleanor is talking about what um, Kate thinks she needs to be protected and how Eleanor says that she'll give her whatever she needs. Kate tells her mom that she needs a bow and arrow Again, the thing is, is that she had one in her room, and she had archery medals. So, like, does she not have a bow? Did they only allow her to, you know, have it when she's actually doing archery? It's really weird. I don't know if this is an oversight or or what, or just part of the storytelling. But it, I thought this wire was a little bit weird, and I don't know what they're trying to accomplish with that. So, um, and then we get to the opening credits, and this is a great way to show how um Kate grew up and not to tell you as the audience but in the credit scene to be able to show you how she grew how she grew up to be such a badass with fencing with gymnastic martial arts archery pretty much he is going to be somebody that you don't want to mess with, right? And we already know from this that this is going to be a Kate Bishop show. And if you're not familiar with this, Hawkeye is taken on by Kate Bishop, and they're both referred to as Hawkeye. I know we talk about, you know, that can get confusing a little bit, but in the comics run, they're both known as Hawkeye, and I think this series is going to show how Kate Bishop takes on that mantle. Maybe not, you know, taking it from Clint. Clinton's probably going to still be around, and he'll still have that mantle, probably. But this is going to show how she's going to be uh, called Hawkeye as well, too. Now, I want to take one second, kind of stop, and say that this opening credit scene, the illustration, is strongly influenced by the artwork of David Aha. Again, read the run you don 't even have to read the stories just look through the covers and the pages and you'll see that a lot of this is very reminiscent of the work that David Ha has and even the, the promo poster that Disney put out where it's the purple arrow and it's cut out with the city in the background and Clint and Kate and Lucky are standing there looking at the camera and you know Clint's pointing the bow and arrow towards the camera and everything like that. that is also straight out of the cover from one of the issues that David. Aha Ha worked on. And if you don't know this, David is not getting paid by Disney for the show at all. And honestly, the, the two big companies, DC Comics and Marvel, doesn't do a great job with uh, compensating their artists for things like this. And we don't know what was in the contract when David Aha was working on this at all. Um, and so legally, he probably doesn't have any claim to this. But I think all of us can agree to the fact that Disney's going to be making a lot of money off of this. And it's only fair, you know, legally aside, it's only fair and right to compensate David for his work and how much, you know, money and influence that, you know, Disney's having from this series. And so, We at the Caption Life Podcast actually created a petition to encourage Disney to pay him for his work and his influence on the show. And so if you're interested in signing this petition and learning more about this, check out the show notes in this episode. And I highly encourage you to sign it, share it out on social media and let people know about this, because I don't think people realize that he is not getting paid for this. I think there will be a lot more uproar about this if they realize how much of the work is being taken here and how he is not getting compensated. For that. So go ahead and check that out. So now we get the clock tower scene, and we see that Kate made a bet with her friends, and she either lost the bet or this is the bet. It's not clear, but she has to shoot an arrow to ring the bell. Now, first, in case you missed it, this tower, this clock tower, is called Stain Tower, which is connected to Obadiah Stain, who is the main villain in the first Iron Man movie. Now, I don't know why this connection. I don't know why they decided to put his name on there instead of, you know, some other popular uh, character from Marvel. So I find it interesting. I don't know if that's going to come back to us later on in the series or not or if it's just, you know, some sort of throwback to make some sort of connection to uh, the MCU and, and maybe, you know, just kind of a nod towards Iron Man. Who knows, you know? So, um, but I do want to give credit here to um, where I found this cuz I actually didn't catch this when I first watched this, but I was watching TikTok and I came across an account called Superhero Talk, which is run by Michael Rothman. And he is the one that actually created the video and showed that this is in the episode. So I do want to give him credit for it. He makes some great videos on his TikTok account. So I really encourage you to check him out. I'm going to put a link to his TikTok profile below and you're going to see me refer to his videos a couple more times because again, he caught a lot of stuff that I didn't catch the first time around. and So I really appreciate him doing that. OK, so this is our first time, our first glimpse of Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop. And I got to say right off the bat, she encompasses who Kate Bishop is from the beginning. I think she's again she's going to do a great job with this. If you've read the comic run, you'll know that, you know, Kate Bishop has a little bit of, of sass to her and she doesn't really put up with Clint's crap or anything like that. And I think Haley Steinfeld does a great job of doing this in this first scene. Um, What's interesting is that when you see her knock her arrow and pull back the string, the audio here, you hear the heartbeat beating and beating and beating, and then she released between beats. Again, this is something that you see from the Matt Fraction and David Aha's run, is that they did a great job of illustrating how archery is done and the skills and techniques that go into it. So. So we see that the arrow hits the bell. It destroys the bell and the clock tire. And then she gets caught by security guard. But... (laughs) <laughs> what happens to her? Nothing, right? Her mom cancels her credit cards and then her mom has to do a fundraiser to replace an antique historical tower. Now, if this doesn't scream white privilege with the fact that she just destroyed a historic monument. and She doesn't even go to jail or serve any time whatsoever. She just has to do a fundraiser and gets her credit cards canceled. I don't know what else would scream white privilege at that point. So, there's, there's another nod to this lived reality of Kate later on that I'll mention, but clearly this shows that she's privileged and is a little bit of a snob, and I'm really, really hoping that this is setting us up to see her, you know, become humbled in the series. Otherwise, I just think it's weird that they showed this part, other than, you know, just to show that she's spoiled. I think we can get that from other ways to do it. Uh, maybe it's just a way to show that, you know, she's really skilled with archery and stuff like that, but I really hope that they're using these moments to try to, like, knock her down and build back up to be humbled, especially with the theme of, you know, her coming from a very rich, affluent background and history, family and things like that. I'm hoping that they you know tie it in a little bit more and kind of get her grounded a lot more later on in the series. All right. So the next scene is Rogers, the musical, the musical that we've all been waiting for ever since we saw that first trailer. Right. So. First of all, this is, we see New York, we see at Christmas time. I'm a sucker of this. It reminds me of Home Alone 2, just with the establishing shots and the snow and the Christmas decorations. I love that part. And then as we get into Roger's a musical, I want to ask you all, did you see the connection to Rent the Broadway musical? If you didn't, watch it again. Adam Pascal, who was the original person to play Roger, in the musical, The Rent, and is also the person who plays that character in the movie. He is the main singer and is also the person who sings and does vocals on Save the City that you can listen to on Spotify. So it was really cool that they have Adam Pascal there. I don't know why. I don't know what the connection was uh, for them to bring in, but I love the fact that they did that. I think it was really great. I'm a, a rent freak myself. And so I absolutely love seeing him there. So. When we first saw the trailer and saw the Broadway musical, we all said we wanted the musical itself, right? But now in this scene watching it, I got to say it is hokey as hell, right? Like Barton's reaction to this is priceless, especially as somebody who was there of the event. He's just watching all this and he's just like, what are they doing, right? Like, Because he... You know, put his life out there and, you know, put himself in danger to save everybody. Now everybody is making a musical about how grand, like how grandiose this was. Right. The song is really cheesy and it's really awesome at the same time. What I think was really weird about watching this musical is that it's a Broadway show. Like, you know, when you look at the theater, it's one of the famous theaters that's known to be on Broadway. And so, you know, that this is a Broadway show. And the costumes, the scenery, the special effects are just awful, right? Like, Iron Man flying was terrible. Ant-Man's costume wasn't even close to what Ant-Man looked like. And the Hulk was just a guy painted up wearing a green hoodie. Like, it's just, it was looked like it's a terrible run production show of the Avengers. And looked like it belonged in high school, let alone being on the Broadway musical. Like, there's no way it would ever make it on Broadway. So, I started thinking, like, why you know, they would do this, right? Why would they make it look like this? And then it hit me. I wonder if one of the writers is making this as a commentary to say, no matter how crappy something is, People like us will buy into it because of the brand, right? Like if it's Disney or it's Marvel, no matter how terrible it is, we're going to buy into it because of the brand. And so if that's the case, bravo to the writer, because I think that's a great way to just kind of show that, you know, it's it's a great way to comment on something without making people upset unless they really, really think about it. Right. So bravo to that person. Plus, I'm not sure how I feel about a musical, about a traumatic experience. I think that's been a lot of conversations people have been having. So, um, so I think, you know, Barton's reaction to all this again is really, really well done and, you know, put a comical spin to it. Um, but also later on we see that Clint looks at the person who is playing that and the cinematography and the director and everybody did a great job of just letting us experiencing this dread that he has. Right. And honestly, as this is happening, I hear a lot of people saying that, you know, he could be experiencing a lot of things and he could be experiencing all these things at once. And and that's definitely a possibility. Right. He could be experiencing remorse. He could be experiencing imposter syndrome. He could be experiencing PTSD. And I think, you know, that's what he's definitely experiencing, all those things. But for me personally, I think what's really driving this home is survivor's guilt. Right. Because think about this in the Avengers movie. He was mind controlled by Loki and helped make the whole Invasion of the Shatari happened, right? So he must have felt guilty about that. And then the Age of Ultron, he was the one that was supposed to die because some of the Ultron robots, if I recall correctly, were about to shoot at him. But then Pietro came in and saved him and the boy. And so I'm sure he probably feels guilty about that. He's probably thinking, why did I survive this, right? Infinity War, his whole family was snapped away, but he was the one that lived. Again, he's probably asking, why me? And then Ronan, we see that he probably feels guilty for what he did as running and killing all those people, especially since we saw that, you know, he got his family back. And then in Endgame, he and that fought for the self-sacrifice to get the Soul Stone, right? So he is experiencing a lot of trauma here. And I think we're going to see that play out throughout the entire series. Uh, we see that he has his hearing aid off during the musical. Um, And we see that he only has it in his left ear, but not in his right. So I think he's probably completely deaf in his right ear and only has hearing in his left ear, which is why he only has the hearing aid in this. Um, As somebody who grew up wearing hearing aids and being uh, hard of hearing myself, I have to give kudos to the audio engineering team because listening to that is pretty accurate to how it sounds like the muffled voice when Lila's trying to catch his attention. That's how it sounds when you have a hearing aid that's probably clogging up your hearing there. So now another thing I want to point out is it was hilarious how Clint said, you know, I was there, but you know, it wasn't there. Ant-Man, right? I'm going to point back to Michael Rothman, AKA superhero talk again, because he did point out that technically Ant-Man was there during the time heist. So I thought that was a really good point that actually Ant-Man was there, just not in the part that we're thinking of, right? So um, I don't know if that's something that that's, was overlooked or anything like that, but I think we're all just focusing on the 2012 event as opposed to you know putting in the time heist in there as well, too. So kudos to Michael for catching that. Um, and then we see that a little girl in the theater recognizes uh, Clint Barton and waves at him. And I thought it was a little odd throughout the show because some people seem to recognize Clint and some people don't or at least don't get excited about him as as, you know, when they see the cosplayers that we see later on the episode. Right. Um, Or at least in episode two. Then I didn't realize this until the third watching of this episode. But the little girl actually look a lot like Nat. So that's probably why Clint was a little thrown off at first. Right. He's that he's probably, again, still thinking about her. Um, and then we get to the bathroom scene where we see that he sees the graffiti writing on the bathroom that says Thanos is right. And Clint's reaction to this was kind of like a shrug. And I think he has mixed feelings about this, right? Because he's still feeling that survivor's guilt. But at the same time, because of Thanos, he lost his family for five years. And so I don't think he thinks that Thanos is right. But he probably is thinking that there are some things that he wish he could change. And so I think if he had let himself get into that moment and think about, you know, was Thanos right? I think he would probably just melt down. Right. And then, okay, guy that came in and asked for a selfie while he's at the urinal. Like, who does that? I'm sure there are people out there who do that. But I mean, come on. (laughs) Right. Um, And then. As he was leaving the musical, it was nice to see Clint enjoying his kids and spending time with them. It reminds us of, you know, when we first find out he had a family in Age of Ultron and just how happy he is. We get to see a glimpse of that. So that was really nice to see. Now we jump to the scene where Kate and Eleanor interact at the penthouse. Did anyone else notice that Kate's clothes were really baggy? Like, is there a reason for this? Am I missing something? If, if you do, let me know. Maybe I'm just, you know not aware of why, you know, it seems baggy. Maybe it was intentional. Maybe I'm looking too much into it. Who knows? But if you know, let me know. But for me, it seemed like a lot of her clothes she was wearing in the show was baggy, right? But this is the part that gets a little weird is that even though she's wearing these clothes that seem really baggy, like is she still sport? Like this is a part I'm trying to come to grips with because they're – her, some of her behaviors and things that she does screams being a spoiled rich kid. Right. But then their other thing is that it was just like, it's not really fit in that mold. And so maybe she's kind of straddling the line between the two worlds and that she's trying to find her place in as well. I don't know. I just thought it was interesting, right? But here's the other thing that I thought makes her a spoiled little brat in this show is that she leaves her coat on the ground, which happens again in Episode 2 when she goes to Bishop Security and she actually leaves it on the floor behind the front receptionist, right? And so someone who does that and doesn't even take the time to put it up or hang it up properly, and even especially in a place that you don't live at or you or is your place of work, right? So in the scene, we see that she leaves her coat on the ground with her bag, which happens again in episode two. And again, I think this is just something that shows that in her behavior, she either is just very careless or doesn't care about, you know, what she does. Or she's just spoiled in that thinking somebody will put it up for her. Right. Like, I think that's going to be they that'll be ongoing throughout the series that we're going to see the little snippets of how she is spoiled as a rich person. And how she's also, you know, modest, a little bit down to earth. And again, I'm not sure what to make of it yet, but I just see a little glimpse in her behavior about how, you know, she seems like a grounded, you know, down-to-earth person. At the same time, she has a little bit of that rich lifestyle that's embedded into her personality, right? So Kate and her mom Eleanor are talking about the clock tower and the fundraiser, and I love how Eleanor just kind of throws in her face to say that. It is both a bell and a clock tower because they're arguing about which one it was. And she says, because of the overachiever you are, you managed to destroy both. I thought that was just a great line that they put in there. And then as she's talking to Kate and trying to knock some sense into her, she mentions how she has not been rich her entire life. That Saying that the young and the rich both think they're invincible and that Kate has been both her whole life that she definitely feels invincible. And Eleanor, you know, sharing that part of her life with us that she's never been rich her entire life. So I thought that was really interesting to see that little backstory of who she is as a person growing up. So in thinking about this and knowing that they're back in the penthouse and clearly they have a lot of money, it begs the question, what happened to the financial issues we saw at the beginning of the episode when she and Derek, Kate's father, were arguing about the financial issues that they were in and that they were really, that Eleanor was really worried that they were going to be in trouble. Right. And so it makes me wonder like, did Derek had a huge life insurance policy taken out or again, is he still alive and helping Eleanor run the security company? I think that's a little bit far fetched to be honest. And I think it'd be really weird, especially since we know what comes up with her being engaged to Jack. But, who knows? I mean, maybe they'll put some sort of weird twist to this, but I, I still think that Derek is probably not dead or something is going on for sure. Right. Um, and then speaking of we see Jack Duquesne, he comes in. If you don't know who Jack is from the comics, he's actually uh, a villain called the Swordsman that Kate and Clint fights in an issue of one of the Matt Fraction and David Aha Collingsworth comic run, and Clint actually has a connection with the Swordsman. Where I think they were either trained by the same person, or maybe the Swordsman taught him how to fence. I can't remember exactly, but they actually had a connection there. So it makes me wonder: Does Clint have a connection to this Jack that we'll see in the series as well too? Who knows? So I love the shade that Kate gives Jack about surprises and about how they're always unexpected. And then Jack tries to give her a rose that he had in his mouth, and she just looks at him like, ew, disgusting, right? Um, Without that being said, I think Jack is a red herring here. I don't think he's actually a villain, or at least if he is. He's probably a bad guy, but doesn't have that much of an impact going on. Like He's probably like more of a sub-level boss than anything else. Right. So I don't think he's going to be the main villain here. It just seems way too obvious for that to happen. So we'll keep an eye out on it and see what happens in future episodes. So later on, we see that Kate and Eleanor and Jack goes to the fundraiser and then Kate is standing by herself and we meet. Armand Duquesne, who is Jack's uncle and clearly has issues with Kate's mother, because when Armand comes up and starts talking to her and reminds her of who he is, he just badmouth her the whole time saying that I don't know why he wants to marry her. You know, your mother is such a prize, you know, in a sarcastic way. I just don't know anyone who is, you know, a decent human being that would talk to so ill about somebody that's their mother straight to their face, right? It was just really weird. So we do see them arguing later on about how Armand saw some sort of email or signature. Or he saw something, right? And again, could that be Derek? Could that be Kate's father still alive? Right. But I think it's foreshadowing to Eleanor being a villain in a sense. And I have a theory about this. I'm going to talk about that at the end of this episode here. And then we meet Armand the seventh. So Jack's, Uncle again is Armand the Third, Armand Duquesne the Third, and then we meet Armand the Seventh, which means that if there's Armand the Third and Armand the Seventh living, that means that he is these that means Armand the Third is the great great grandfather of Armand the Seventh. Does anyone else think that's weird? Or is it just me? Or does this, you know, kind of work in a different way that I'm not familiar with? I don't know, but I think that's really weird that you have that many generations alive, right? So Kate goes outside after being upset at how she found out about her mom's engagement and then starts talking to the pizza dog, which in the comics, again, we know it's Lucky the Pizza Dog. But right now we don't have a name to it. And so it's so funny how she just talks to the dog like it's another human being that she could talk to. And I got to say, when is Disney going to sell the stuffed version of Lucky the Pizza Dog? Because I think that would be a killer hit for the holidays. I know I would buy it. And I think a lot of people would buy it. So Dizzy. come on, where you at? <laughs> Let's get that out there, right? So Kate walks back in, finds Armand and Eleanor talking. Armand says, I should have known this empire of yours was built on a lie. And then she said she built it by herself. Again, what's the lie? Is Derek Bishop still involved? This is something that is going to come up. And again, I have a theory about some of this. And I think Eleanor is not as squeaky clean as we're seeing her to be. Um, but it would be weird for her to marry Jack if Derek was still alive and she knew about it. So who knows what the lie may be. If you have thoughts about this, though. Definitely let me know. Now Kate follows Armand back to the black market auction at the basement in the wine cellar that we saw, and Jack and Armand are both interested in Ronan's sword, an outfit that's recovered from the Avengers compound. And we find out that no one knows who Ronan is. So Again, why is the sword so important? Like, is it a status thing that if they have it, it's something that, you know, people won't mess with them? Or does it have like a deeper meaning? Is there something that comes along with that sword? It just seems really odd that both of them are wanting that sword. And I know you find out that Jack is, you know, a fencer and he's a swordsman and all that. But it just seems really, really odd for him to be interested in that particular sword that is known for, you know, assassinating and killing much of the criminal underworld, which makes you think that they were involved with the criminal underworld somehow, right? And what's interesting is that Armand makes it seem like Jack doesn't have money, or at least not a whole lot of money, because he mentioned that while they were bidding, he doesn't have 300 grand. So I wonder if there's some sort of lead on to this, or maybe he's just not truthful about how much money he has. Who knows? This would be really interesting to see. And then as Kate is trying to get away, we get introduced to... The tracksuit mafia, bro. All right. Now they are known in the comics to overuse the word bro. All their sentence either begins or end with bro. So this is straight from the comics. And while we're watching this, my wife notices this as well. She said that it was getting annoying for her really quickly, which I responded to her by saying, bro, come on. <laughs> she didn't like that. So Kate puts on the Ronin suit when they break in, and then we see her kicks ass. I love the fact that when she's hitting people with a wine bottle, that it doesn't break like what you usually see in the movies or TV shows, right? Because that actually doesn't happen when you hit people with the wine bottle because they're really solid, right? So I love the realism there. And so we know that this is where the trouble is going to start for Clint because she puts on the Ronin suit, and now everybody thinks that Ronin is back, right? And then we also hear that the tracksuit mafia and Kazi particularly, which is who we'll see a little bit later on, has mentioned that they are there to get the watch. Now, what's so special about the watch? I don't know yet. I've been trying to figure out and rack my brain against it. But again, Michael Rothman, Superhero Talk, had a video on this. and pointed out that the number that's associated on the tag to it, if you look at it, it's 268. Now, if you look up Avengers issue 268, you see that's actually about Kang the Conqueror. And this kind of makes sense because we do see that Kang is probably going to be a villain in the MCU from watching the Loki series, right? Now, this could also be a throwaway because I've never seen a Marvel movie or show where they add a number, um, an issue number to the story, and then that ends up being a spoil for everyone. So I don't think that um, this is what's happening here. It might just be a throwaway or it might just be a nice nod. Who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens. But that watch is really interesting. I can't figure out, like, one, who it belongs to and two, why would it be at the Avengers compound, which either means that somebody there of significance um, that we didn't know about was there or somebody went back. And dropped it as evidence Who knows But we'll see that Right So outside the building We see that Lucky attacks The tracksuit mafia Who had the watch And then the tracksuit mafia Starts attacking him And kicking him And saying you know I'm going to kill him And of course everybody Hearts melt after that Because like No don't hurt the dog Right And then Kate saves Lucky From that And then also saves him again From being hit by a car And I want you to keep in mind here Because I'm going to bring this up later But Lucky is a very, very dirty dog. And I just mean that he has a bunch of dirt on him. Looks like he hasn't taken a bath in days because he's probably a dog living on the street. But he's very dirty in this scene. And I'm going to bring that up here a little bit later. okay? but in the same scene, we actually see the face of Kazi. Now, we've seen Kazi a little bit earlier when Kate was fighting him. And so this is not our first time seeing him, but this is our first time seeing him without the mask. And this is very different than the comics. okay? so Kazi in the comics actually has a European accent. But in the show, it doesn't seem like he has one at all. Even though the tracksuit mafia all have them, and it seems like he's part of it, he doesn't sound like he has an accent, okay? Now, in the comics, he's also a very hard-trained assassin to kill, And it's and he's actually the main villain in the series from the Fraction Aha Mollingsworth series. Right. And he's actually hired by the tracksuit mafia. So he wasn't part of them originally, but he's hired to help them and to help them um, resolve the issue that they had with Clint Barton. And again, he's a very tough guy and he actually not to go too much into it, but he has. Clown paint on his face and stuff like that. And we see a little bit of back history, but here he just looks very different. He looks more reserved. And it's almost like whenever he looks at Katie or sees Katie, he knows who Katie is. It makes me feel like he maybe has a personal history with her or maybe with Ronan and how, you know, he responded to her in the fight earlier, how he looked at her and just said Ronan, like, you know, he was confused why he was back. Right. So it makes me think like, does he have some sort of personal connection either with Ronan or with Kate? Right. So we go back to the hotel where the Bartons are staying at and then they turn on the news and Clint sees that Ronan is being displayed in the news prominently. And then he gets all of this, you know, feelings of guilt about being Ronan. Right. And we also find out that kids didn't know that he was Ronan. And so obviously he kept that away from them. And, you know, they just thought it was cool that a ninja saved the dog. Right. But for him, it means a lot more. And then we find out later on that Ronan still has some enemies out there as well, too. So we get to the scene where Kate takes Lucky back to the apartment, gives him pizza to eat. So either, you know, she doesn't have a whole lot of food to eat or just doesn't know how to feed a dog. And I did find her dialogue with the dog or, you know, monologue rather, because the dog's not talking back with her really odd because she talks to him about Armand and the break in and wonders if he's involved with it somehow. Like, she was talking to like he was going to respond back. Like, does he really think he was going to respond back? Like, is she socially awkward that she talks to animals the same way she talks to people? Like, is this really odd? Like, I loved it, but I thought it was really weird at the same time too. So, and we see that Kate is going to track down Armand to figure out what's going on. And we find out that, her mom's company, Bishop Securities, apparently has an app where you can track anyone that has a phone with their phone number basically. So it makes it really <laughs> easy for her to find anybody, right? Um, so Kate breaks into Armand's house. She sees the monogram butterscotch, which we know comes into play later on. Armand is dead with a sword in his back. So the question is, who did it? Again, I think it's really, really too obvious that it's Jack, his nephew. And so I don't think he did that. But again, who knows? I mean, maybe it's Derek. Remember that Armand was fighting with Eleanor earlier about you know her empire that she built that was built on a lie and. Uh, I had a theory that maybe Derek Bishop is somehow alive and involved and maybe it's Derek this time that's doing that, right? So who knows? We'll see what happens. But I think that's gonna be, you know, part of the mystery that we want to try to keep figuring out every episode, right? So Kate runs away to the street, but the Tracksuit Mafia finds her. And what's funny is they think she's the actual Ronan they faced off with years ago, even though the the outfit doesn't fit her very well. She's clearly a woman when you look at her, and so it's just really funny. Like they either you know don't remember Ronan at all or what, but it's just I thought it was really interesting. And then the episode ends with Clint finding her and helps her escape and finds out that she's just a kid in his eyes, right? And then we see that Kate is enamored with Hawkeye, and she's a fangirl of him, obviously because he saved her life when she was a kid. That is the end of episode one. All right, so let's jump into episode two. So we see Kate walking to her apartment with Clint, and it's funny because she's asking Clint if he's assessing threats, like if he's doing Avenger-level stuff, and of course, you know, Clint's like, yeah, whatever, you know, like that's not what he's doing. He's just making sure that they don't get attacked or killed, right? And then... Kate makes that world's greatest archery joke where she said, you know, some people say that I'm the world's greatest archer. And then he said, are you one of those people? And she's like, I'm one of them. Yes. (laughs) Right now. I had a theory before we saw this scene and we only saw snippets of this in the trailer. Um, about this, because when we watched the trailer, those two sentences weren't really put together where it says, you know, some people say I'm the world's greatest archer. And then Clint says, are you one of those people? And when Clint says that in the trailer, you see Kay just nod. And I thought it was really odd because I was like, what one of those people is he talking about? And so I had a theory that maybe she was part of this other group of people calling themselves Ronins and I'll explain why that about that a little bit later but I thought maybe she was part of this group that ends up doing you know ends up being a criminal organization and then she wants out and so that was my theory obviously my theory was completely off but this was still funny right all right so we get into the apartment and I remember I said Lucky is a very very dirty dog but then miraculously when we get into Kate's apartment he is clean So I don't know if that's like an editing mistake or someone's paying attention or what. But I noticed that. (laughs) Um, So we see Kate fangirling over Clint and Clint's probably being annoyed by this. So it's like the, you know, typical, you know, someone's looking up to their mentor. The mentor could care less about them and all that. And so we're going to see that, you know, probably for the next uh, couple episodes. And then, you know, Clint's going to start warming up to her. Right now, the apartment looks just like the apartment we see From Fraction and Aha. So again, this is another nod to the fact that they're pulling in influence from that series there, right? And then on the floor, you see that there are tiles that it's in hexagon shape. Again, straight from the comic series. So a lot more proof that there are a lot of connections from the original comic series, right? Now in Kate. Gives Clint the Ronin suit and also asks Clint to sign her bow. It reminds you a lot of how Peter Parker is in the MCU, and that we are living our fandom through them, right? Like Peter Parker doesn't get that he's one of the Avengers that he is equal to them, and that he is just in all of them. Whenever, even when he's fighting with them, he's like, "Oh my gosh, it's such a cool arm." When he's talking to Bucky, right? And I think we're going to see the same thing with Kate as well too. Is that we're going to see Kate's just loving the fact that she's going to be with the Avengers and the superheroes, and that we're going to be living vicariously. Through her right i love the line that she says where clint says did anybody see you? she's like no i kept the mask on like a pro like she knows what she's doing right and then we find out that she doesn't know what she's doing and the Traction mafia finds her apartment and then they start throwing the molotov cocktail at her apartment here's the weird thing i don't know if anyone else caught this but why was clint so concerned about getting the suit and not just letting it burn like if the apartment's burning down. Why did he say he needed to get that suit as opposed to just say, let's just burn the suit, right? Because his whole idea is that he wants to burn it. And, and now thinking about this, maybe it's just that he wants to have it to have proof that Kate isn't Rodin. And maybe that's what it is. But I thought that was a little bit off to begin with. So they get out of the building and then Quint says we need to get supplies. And Kate's like, hell yeah, adventure supplies. And then they go to the store, they're just getting basic first aid stuff. And she's like, I'm not gonna lie, this is a bit of a letdown. And what I love about this whole thing is that you're gonna see Kate, you know, and, and this goes perfectly um with the title of the first episode, which says Never Meet Your Hero, right? Because she's gonna go from this really, really high um she is in the same space with her hero with everybody that she is trying to be and then that image just starts getting chipped away with every moment that she spends with him as she gets less excited and gets let down constantly actually so it's really funny about that so k asked about if his hideout is at the avengers tower and clint says tony sold it a few years ago so now we're going to ask well who did he sold it to did he sell it to Baxter, which we know that is actually the name of the building for where the Fantastic Four uh, lives and where they work at, or maybe sold it directly to Reed Richards. Maybe he's rich now, you know, and, and it's going to be his own building and maybe he'll still name it after Baxter. Who knows? Is it Norman Osborn? I didn't think this was going to be the case, but recently we did get confirmation that. There's going to be three new Spider-Man movies in the MCU, so maybe we'll get Osborne in the MCU, and maybe this is going to be longer. So I didn't think this was going to be a possibility, but it it might be now. And maybe may teasing that, which means that they kind of knew that this was going to happen, or they just left it open for that possibility, right? Or could it be Wilson Fisk, aka Kingpin? I'll go and talk about that a little bit later at the end here when I talk about my questions I still have and theories. But maybe Kingpin is the one that buys it, right? We'll see. So they go over to Kate's aunt's apartment, and you'll see that there's actually a movie poster for a movie for Future of the Dark Galaxy and the main actress there is Maura Brandon and this is actually from the comics so this is supposed to be Kate's aunt in the show but in the comics um, there's a lot of similarities. Maura Brandon in the comics is an actress although she's not a successful one and then she had to sell her estate um, over in Los Angeles and the West Coast Avengers wanted to buy her estate and who were the people that came to check out her estate to see if that was something they wanted to buy was Hawkeye Clint Barton himself and his wife at the time Mockingbird aka Bobby Norris and they came to look at it and and then they were attacked by a villain named Crossfire who uses a crossbow. So, you know, bows and arrows are always going to be a thing for Hawkeye, no matter what. Right. And then Mora saves them using Crossfire's own crossbow, but she does die in the process. And then Clint makes her an honorary Avenger before she dies. So I thought that was a great nod just to something like that. And then make her Kate's aunt. Um, if I didn't know any better though, just from looking at the apartment and the kinds of clothes that Kate is wearing from her aunt, this almost seemed like it would be Yelena. Because remember in Black Widow, if you haven't seen it, Yelena never picked out her own clothes until she got away from the mind control substance that she was under. And then she started buying her own clothes. And Natasha made fun of her because she was buying terrible clothes. And that's what her aunt has. And so I was just like, what if that was actually her aunt? I don't think that's the case at all. But I thought it'd be funny that there was some sort of tie in with that, especially since we know that Yelena is supposed to be in the series as well, too. So Clint tells Kate to stay in her aunt's apartment while he tries to get the suit back. Kate is wanting to go with him, but he is saying no. So she is clearly disappointed because she is seeing this as an opportunity for them to work together, for her to learn from her mentor, and he is just keeping her at bay. We see that getting chipped away of her image of Clint Martin being her hero. And just like what we saw in the musical, we did get a glimpse of how most people see hero life differently than actual heroes, right? Because again, in the musical, Clint's like, this is not what the hero life, this is not what the event was like. And we see this again with Kay thinking that the hero life is a glamorous thing. And Clint knows that it is not and that he is riding out with all these people that he knows are dead now. He is riding with all this guilt. And so uh, there's going to be a huge parallel in in comparison that I think that they're going to bridge those two together and trying to, you know, remind Clint of what it's like to be a, a hero, you know, and to inspire people. Right. And then, you know, Clint's going to show Kay like how it's not always going to be great and that there are real problems that comes along with it. So this is going to be a recurring theme throughout the whole series. So, Clint goes to the apartment. He can't find the suit. He does get a lead with the New York City LARPing And I got to say, how many people are going to start doing LARPing because of this episode, right? Like, I think everybody loved this episode. Everybody loved that scene. It was fantastic. I think we're going to see a huge uptick in people saying that they want to be part of a LARPing community around them. So so Clinton goes back, and we see Kate talking to her mom on the phone. And I thought it was really weird, like, how her mom was insisting her to come back to her pit house. It was just really odd. Like, I feel like as uh, a parent... I would be really assistant on if I found out that my child's apartment burned down to the ground, I would want them with me to make sure they are safe. And, you know, Eleanor doesn't seem to be like two phase about it. She's still concerned, but I feel like she's you know only doing so much and then kind of stopping herself. So there's something weird about this. Right. And then here we see Clint is grumpy towards Kate. And Kate's glass of illusion being shattered about her hero and isn't really a fangirl anymore, right? Like it just seems like it's just her excitement goes down, 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 down. And it keeps continuing that way. Now, remember, Clint is feeling a lot of guilt towards missing time out with his kids and with his time as own. And so displaying that guilt into anger makes sense here. So I don't think we can give him a lot of grief for being grumpy towards Kate because of all these things that he's dealing with right now. He just wants to go back to his family, spend Christmas and forget all this stuff. And now because of something stupid that happens, he has to put himself into this world again. Right now, we find out that. The pizza dog doesn't have a name yet, even though we've been calling him Lucky. And that's his name from the comics, which, by the way, his original name was Arrow, which I thought was funny. And then Clint Clint said it was a stupid name and that he was going to change it. Um, I'm not going to go into it too much. Again, read the comics if you're interested in that. Um, But Lucky wasn't his dog to begin with. And the fact that his name was already Arrow before he came into Clint's possession, I think, was really great here. Right. Um, so I wonder how he's going to get a name or how he's going to get them lucky, if at all. Or maybe they'll just keep it to Peach Dog. Who's Who knows? We'll see. Um, and then we see Clint helping out Kate, you know, bandaging her up, which, again, is a nice touch from the comics since they're always doing this and they're always having to bandage each other up. Um, and then we see Clint going through Kate's drawings of the Traction Mafia, where she said that she thought it would be good for her to draw pictures of them to remember what they look like and things like that. And it's hilarious how bad these illustrations are. But what's great about this is that this could lead to Kate's future and possible future seasons for Hawkeye as a private eye, because in the comics, she does become a private investigator over on the West Coast. But I can see them sticking to New York and have her be a private investigator um, here in New York. and she does this sort of thing where she actually draws you know what happened as part of her notes it's it's actually really great if you want to read more about Kate Bishop and Hawkeye series read more read as much as you can because they're really good so check that out and I think this is just going to be a nice little push into seeing you know the beginnings of Kate becoming a private investigator here right going back to when they went to the store to get the Avenger supplies, Clint didn't warm up to the dog. Like the dog kept coming up to him and like petting him or, you know, rubbing against him and all that. He's just like, what do you want? Like, don't, you know, don't bother me. And Clint wasn't warm to him at first, but you know, in this scene after, you know, he is figuring out what's going on. He figures out who has the suit, you know, he looks at him and pets him. He says, you're a good boy. And there's actually a panel in the comics where they do a great job of capturing like how sweet that moment is from there's actually an entire issue where you see through the eyes of lucky. It's great because there's no words or maybe words that a dog would recognize. And they did a fantastic job of illustrating this again. Just go and buy it because it's so good. This is If I can recommend any comic book, that would be my top five is that whole series right there. So just go pick it up. It's just a great call out to that. So um, then later on, we see that he's helping his kids get ready to go to the airport. And Nate does American Sign Language with Clint. Now, I love this. I think it's very sweet. But I also have to ask, why did he learn ASL? Like he could still hear with his hearing aid. He's not completely deaf, right? Uh, I still think it's cool, and I think it's going to be great that we have that representation here. I just don't think it made a whole lot of sense because... Clint is again it's not completely deaf he could still hear uh, his children and maybe there was a time where you know they'll explain like why he learned it and everything but I just thought it was kind of an odd thing that he did that with Nate and he doesn't do that with any other kids or anything like that right so I think it's cool but it is a little bit odd but I think it does set us up to see how this is going to play with um, a character later on the show which I'll talk about a little bit more later so Clint goes back to the apartment where Kate is staying and she sees the news that Ronan, that people think Ronan may have killed Armand. And then Clint and Kate talk and they decide that Kate should go to work since her mom owns a security company. It makes me think, does Eleanor even like track Kate, like on her app, since Kate could track everybody else, right? And then Kate goes and puts on new clothes from her aunt, and again, they're terrible clothing, really big on her, orange suit. Again, it seems like Elena's taste. We know that's not going to be her aunt, but it's just really funny to see. And then Kate and Clint are walking down the street of New York City and we see the huge dizzy sign in the back. And so I'm sure that was intentional. Right. And then Clint explains why she's on his left side for hearing purposes. What's is accurate, by the way, when people are not able to hear out of one ear, they always make sure you're on the other side. So I love this touch. And I thought it was a hilarious way of them explaining his deafness and showing like little clips of um, battles that he was part of that probably was the cause of his hearing loss. And I love whoever thought of this, of them syncing up the music in the background to get louder during the scenes to Little Drummer Boy, because it just synced really, really well. And I just thought it was funny how he's just like, "Eh, I'm not sure how it happened. (laughs) Right. Like, clearly, he knows. (laughs) Um, But again, people don't seem to recognize him earlier, which, you know, it seems really weird. Like some people do, some people don't. But again, it's New York. You know, people probably see celebrities all the time. They're like, eh, whatever, I got to go to work. Right. So they talk about branding because Kate says, like, that's why people don't recognize you. And Clint says he's not selling anything. And then Kate says that he is selling something, but it's inspiration. I just think this was really insightful because she is clearly frustrated because, again, she sees him more highly than he sees himself here. Right. He's not used to that. He's not used to people wanting to be like him. He's not used to people wanting, you know, anything that has to do with him, which is why he said, like, you know, I'm not selling toys or clothes or anything like that because everybody else wants Iron Man or Thor or Hulk. Right. And so I think it was really sweet to see that. Kate, you know, just looks up to him so much and that he's going to remind him about that, about, you know, how he does a lot more and how he belongs with the Avengers and how he is just as profoundly needed as any of the other Avengers. Right. And so I think we're going to see that play out a little bit more. So before they leave, Clint says this might be the last time they'll see each other. And it's clear that Kate wants to learn more from him because she sees him as a colleague, right? And she asks about trick arrows, and Clint's like, there's no trick arrows, and so we know that's not true, right? Um, and we already know he's going to regret giving Kate his number. And she was smart to call herself from his phone, right? Because she already knows how he operates. She knows that the reason why he asked her to put her number in his phone and not the other way around is so that she doesn't get to call him or text him whenever she wants. So, so that was slick of her to do, right? Um, and then I love the fact that <laughs> two minutes later, she's like, I'll call you later after he just told her this is for emergencies only, right? This is this is exactly how the relationship is in the comics. And I think it's just going to be great. We're going to see a lot more of this. So again, Kate walks into Bishop Securities and she just drops her coat and bag on the floor by the front desk. Again, is he spoiled? Is he bratty? You know, I, this says a lot about her attitude, I think. And it seems like she really does this more now that I think about this when it is related to her mom and her family. And so maybe because it's her mom, she's acting out, which makes sense because it seems like she is getting neglected from Eleanor because at the beginning of episode one, we see that Kate gives her a championship medal award for martial arts for U.S. Open. And it seemed like Eleanor didn't even know about that, you know? So maybe that's what this is, is that this is a call for help or crying out for attention from her mom doing these sorts of things. Right. So I, I can actually buy that. I can see that these are just, you know, um, attention seeking behaviors from her mom where she doesn't really do this in other places. So that's probably what's going on here. So, so Eleanor asked Kate where she got the clothes and then Kate lies her. says it's from a friend. And so it makes you think like, why does she not want to tell her the truth here? Right. Is it Derek's sister? Is it, you know, Elaine's, uh, is that Eleanor's estranged sister? Like, you know, what is the deal with the aunt that she didn't want to tell her she's staying there, right? So I wonder if this is going to come up later. Um, and then the fact that Jack is there and Jack is mansplaining <laughs> to Eleanor why Kate is lashing out like a pretentious bag of dirt that he is, right? And how he said, I got a book about being the stepdad. And it just shows how out of touch he is or, you know, showing that he's out of touch. Maybe he's doing this on purpose. But the fact that he says, you know, I'm going to get it. I bought a book about being a stepdad for Kate, who is 22 years old. Right. Like I think that ship has sailed from that point. So, so Kate says she'll come over to her mom's place for dinner. And that's when she plans to confront Jack about lying and with the you know, um, and I don't know how she figured this out, but she's going to confront him about fencing about how he knows how to fight with swords. Right. And I don't know if she just had a hunch or if she knew something, but it wasn't clear to me like how she figured that part out. Right. So we get to the next scene where we see Clint join the LARPing scene. And this is probably by far the best scene that we see in the series already maybe it may already is right like I haven't seen the other episodes but I just love this part because they know who Hawkeye is right but they don't care because the rules about LARPing is not superseded by Hawkeye right like everybody has to play by the rules we don't care who you are yeah you're an Avenger this is what you live by right and so I love how they you know just play into this they know who he is and I'm sure they all love him as well too but they're like, you need to buy into this. If you're going to go talk to this guy, you need to be part of the LARPing scene, right? And so it's just so funny how they're trying to get him to buy into it, and it's just not something he wanted to do at first. And then the scene when he starts fighting the other LARPers, it's so great, because he clearly knows how to fight, and they clearly don't, and their overreaction to being hit in slow motion is so great. Kudos to Riz Thomas, who's the director here, on creating this scene because I just think it is fantastic. And just how he fights everybody with such ease and so effortlessly, right? And his reaction is just like, I can't believe I'm doing this. It's just so great. And then he finally meets up with the guy that has his ninja suit, who's a firefighter. And this is a person we learn to be grills. Now, real quick. Well, tell you, Grills is a character from the comic book. And they made changes here. Grill was not a firefighter, he was actually somebody in the comics. Um, long story short, Clint Barton lived in an apartment building, which he ended up buying the building because he liked the people there and wanted to protect them. And Grills was somebody who lived in the building. He was an older, um, probably 40s or 50s white gentleman who always cooked, overweight, always cooked on top of the roof. Um, And Clint becomes friends with him. So I wonder if he's going to become friends with Grills in this show. I really think so. I hope so. I think they have a great camaraderie already. Um, And I like the change here. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's going to be really great to see this relationship play out. And so I really hope that, you know, we see more of Grills in the show. And so Grills recognizes him and says that he'll give it to Hawkeye only if he lets him kill him. Right. And this is this LARP cred right here. Like if you can kill a real life superhero in a LARP scene, like everyone's going to think you're the greatest person. Right. And Grills says this is the closest he'll ever get to be to be a superhero. And again, we're going to see how in the eyes of people who are not heroes, the glory of this. And I don't think it's, you know, I think some of it is going to be overplayed because they're not going to see the bad things that comes with it. But I think it's going to be nice because Clinton going to be reminded of, you know, why he does what he does and that he's going to take on a new ownership of that inspiration and trying to help people again and and get back into why he was Avenger to begin with, right? And so I think it's really, going to be really cool here. And, of course, the best line after he said, you know, after Grill said, let me kill you, the best line where he says, and I fought Thanos. I want that to be a shirt right now. So if you know if there's a shirt that says an I fought Thanos, let me know because I definitely want to buy it because that was probably the best thing Clint could have said at the LARPing scene, right? <laughs> so later on we do see grills ask clint if he had fun you know and it's clear that clint did so it was just so great to see that that cold exterior is going to start to melt he's going to forget his guilt for a moment and it's just so great to see that right so later on, Kate texts Clint probably less than 20 minutes after getting his number. And this is just the kind of relationship they're going to have is that she's not going to listen to him. She's just going to do what she thinks is best. <laughs> and it's just so great. Um, now, the texting here is weird because when you watch it, her thumbs and what she's pressing doesn't really match up to the rate that the message is showing up. And so I don't know if it's like shortcuts or what, but it just seems off to me. Um, and then she gets a call from Detective Cottle now. Again, this is also a character from the comics. Now, there are main differences between the two, but they're both detectives in both. Um, But the difference is that in this show, he is younger and works in New York, whereas in the comics, Cottle is much older and he's a detective for L.A. Hollywood. But he does work with her as a private eye in LA in the comics. And so I think we're going to see that Coddle is going to show up and she's going to build a relationship with him. And this might be the beginning of her journey at becoming a private investigator as well too. So I think this would be really cool if they do that. So going back to the LARP scene, was it not hilarious when players were shocked that Clint didn't drink the imaginary potion and the sound effects they made with the swords? Like it's just this is every I've never done LARPing in my life, but this is everything I wanted to be, basically. I'll be honest. I know I said that a lot of people are probably gonna join LARPing. I might look into it. And if it's something that seems like it's a lot of fun and it's not like terribly expensive at all, I might do this because it just seems like this is a lot of fun just to do this sort of thing, right? Uh <laughs> And then later on, as Clint is fighting Grills, we see the line where he says, What Grills says, are you ready for this? And, you know, meaning that I'm going to kill you. And then Clint says to him, I'm begging you, kill me. Now, this is a funny line. But I'm going to bring this line up later, okay? Because I think this is actually has a double meaning here. And so I'm going to explain what, that, what I mean there. But it is funny, but I think there is going to be a little bit of foreshadowing here. So later, Clint stashes a Ronin suit and he calls Lila, and she clearly knows that um, Clint was Ronin and his history. And she apparently knows about the drag suit mafia because he calls her idiots, right, bro? <laughs> um, Clint says he doesn't know how high up. This thing goes in Tracksuit Mafia, which implies that there are many levels of leadership, even maybe beyond the Tracksuit Mafia. And again, I'll kind of get to that with my theories at the end of this episode. But it makes me think if uh, Clint knows that there are like higher people at play that the Tracksuit Mafia will report to. Right. And then Clint talks about his promise with Lila about being a family at Christmas again. And this is a bit ominous. Um, I think it's also setting up parallels between him and Bishop and that he'll eventually take her on as a daughter kind of relationship. And So um, maybe there's parallels there. I'm hoping that Clint still makes it to his family for Christmas. I, I don't think they're going to come him off or anything like that. And I don't think he's going to break his promise. But it is a little bit ominous how they're like, you know, harping on that. Right. And then Clint tells Laura that he's going to do the catch and release method to catch up to the tracksuit mafia, and Laura, you know, says one of that's old moves, and so it's clear here that Clint still misses her, that she is still part of him, and he must have, you know, been thinking about that when he decided to make that plan, and you know, she's always on his mind, right? I mean, I don't think you know that was ever in question, but it's just kind of a nice touch that you know, as the audience member, we're reminded of this. So, all right, so back to the bishop. Penthouse. Kate is trying to push Jack's buttons and mentions fencing. And Jack usually gives in to Kate's challenge. Now, is this intentional or is he just naive and desperate for approval? Again, we don't know what to make of this guy just yet. And I think it's still going to be a mystery. I still think he's a red herring. But in terms of if he's actually an intelligent person and just pretending or if he's just really a naive idiot in the show, we're not quite clear about that just yet. Right. So they fence Kate knows that he's letting her win and that is aggravating her and is also patronizing, right? Like he's every time that she gets him, she's like, oh, you good, you know, two two time state champion, right? Like very, very annoying. Now again how does she know that he was a good fencer? It's really weird that all of a sudden she just knew that he was, you know, faking it, right? But I mean, who knows? I'm like maybe you just know that when you fight other people or when you fence other people that you just know if we know if they know how to do it or not. So maybe she was just seeing what was stick. Who knows? And then she tries to stab him in the face when he wasn't looking, and then he easily disarms her, proving that he lied about his skills and he admits it. But it doesn't seem to matter to Eleanor because Kate was trying to prove this to her mom. And it seems like Eleanor, you know, didn't care about that, but she cared about the fact that Kate was trying to stab him. Right now, again, it makes me think that something else is happening here. Maybe Eleanor is, you know, secretly a villain or something like that. Right. And I'm going to explain this here a little bit towards the end of this episode about what I think this could mean. So Eleanor later on asked Kate to apologize to Jack and in Kate Bishop style, she says, sorry for scaring you into telling the truth. And this is definitely Kate Bishop attitude right there. So I love how Haley Steinfeld did it. She's just she is Kate Bishop, as I mentioned before. I think she just does a great job here. And then Jack offers her some butterscotch, which has the monogrammed name Armand III on there. And this might be the first time that we see Jack is actually a lot more than he seems on the surface. Now, again, we don't know for sure. Maybe this is a coincidence because he's not giving us like a devious look or anything like that. he could still be red herring, but... I don't know. It just seems too obvious that he's a villain, but I could see him like possibly end up being somebody else that we didn't know, or, you know, just a shocking revelation, but I just don't think he's going to be a villain or is going to be the main villain in this. Right. So after this, we cut to the scene where Clint is waiting for the tracksuit mafia and he has his bows and arrows with him. And I have no idea why, like who just shows up with his bow and arrows if he's just wanting to get caught. Right. Like, I just thought that was odd. Maybe it makes sense. I don't know. For me, I was just like, I was just like, if if you know you're going to get caught and you know that they're going to do all this stuff, like why would you even bother bringing bow and arrow? Maybe it was a maybe it's a tactic that he's doing where he knows that they're going to take it anyways, and they he'll have it with him there if he needs to get away, right? So maybe that's a smart move. I don't know. I just thought that was odd. Just you know, he's showing up and he has his bow and arrows with him there, right? So they put Clint in the van and one of the bros of the tracksuit mafia says she wants him alive. Now remember this for later, cause I'm going to bring this up again a little bit in a little bit. So cut back to Kay calling Clint about her clue on a case that he doesn't care about again. He's not caring about that case. He's trying to get the Ronan soon. So he's going to regret giving Kay his number, right? She figures out from the second call that is not Clint. And maybe it's Kazi. We don't know. I mean, the closed captions when I was watching didn't say it was Kazi. He just said man, um, but maybe it was him. It makes sense, right? But she knows that Clint's in trouble. So, of course, he's going to try to save him. And then we get to the scene where Clint is tied up in a seat. At the tracksuit mafia hideout. Now, this is very reminiscent of Natalie uh, Romanoff and Avengers when she is tied up and is trying to get information from the interrogation when they thought that they were interrogating her. But this is also straight out of a panel from, again, the Fraction Aha, Hollingsworth run. So this is you know kind of a dual take, a dual call out there. And then Clint tries to tell the Traction Mafia that Kate Bishop is not Ronan. He gets annoyed really quick and starts arguing with them. And he says that he wants to talk to their manager. And he says, is that him right there? Now, remember earlier when I said that one of the Traction Mafia bros said she wants him alive? Clint must have heard that when they captured him. So why does he seem to not remember this? And maybe this is a tactic. Maybe he's just kind of doing this to get them riled up or something like that. I don't know. But it just seems really odd, really interesting that they said she and he's pretending that, you know, the manager, (laughs) the person that runs them is a he. Right. So. What I loved about this scene is that the Traction Mafia reminds Clint that they were the ones who caught him. And so Clint takes off the restraints very easily. And then the Traction Mafia pulls out the guns. And the shift manager, as Clint calls him, is trying to tell him that he's their hostage and that they're interrogating him. It's like, bro, if you have to tell them that you're doing this, you're not doing a good job of it, right? (laughs) And then they ask him, where is Kate Bishop? And Clinton denies knowing her. And then she drops in literally. And Clint's expression of exasperation is just so good. He was just like, I had it under control. And then she showed up. You've got to be kidding me. This is so great. I I love this relationship already, right? And then we end the episode with Yvonne from the tracksuit mafia going to talk to a mystery lady in a red-lit room blasting speakers telling her, that they have them both. Very ominous, right? So who is she? And since this is the end of the episode of Hawkeye, I will tell you a little bit about what to expect here. So this woman at the end that the tracks mafia clearly reports to is Maya Lopez, AKA echo. And I'll put a link to her character bio for you to, to check out. If you want to learn a little bit more about her, but she is another hero from the comics, not a villain. So we'll see what the MCU does, but she's actually a hero from the comics, but she does start off in a misguided direction because she's usually seen with daredevil. Um, and she actually appeared uh, featured in daredevil stories And she is an adopted daughter of Kingpin. In fact, Kingpin told her that Daredevil killed her biological father when, in fact, it was actually Kingpin. And so she goes on trying to kill off Daredevil. And that's how she becomes, you know, quote, unquote, a villain at the beginning. But she actually ends up being a superhero by the end of it. Right. And so I think we're going to see something similar to this is that she thought she was doing the right thing, realizes she's not. And then she joins um, the good side. Right now, Echo is of the Cheyenne Nation, meaning that she's an indigenous person. Her power is very similar to Taskmaster in that she can mimic anyone she watches, so it makes her a tough opponent and a really good spy. And she's also deaf, which explains why she was putting her hands up up on the speakers, because she wasn't hearing it, and that's why it was blasting at full volume, because she needed to do that to feel the vibrations. So this goes back to earlier in the episode, why did we see Clint learning American Sign Language to speak to his son? And maybe this is the connection that they make where they talk to each other using American Sign Language. So who knows? So maybe that's why they introduced that in the scene earlier on. And then that's how they make that connection with both the characters. And they end up liking each other because they have that in common, right? So one last thing about Echo before I get into my questions and theories here is that in the comics, Echo was actually the first person to hold the title Ronin. So this is why I thought that the theory I talked about before, where the group of villains known as the Ronins that Kate was going to be a part of, this is why I thought this might be a good theory because Echo was the first person to become Ronin. And so I didn't think it was that far fed. So that's something, you know, an interesting fact for you. All. I don't know if you care about that or not, but she was actually in the comics, the first person to have the title running here. So, okay, so let's get into some of my questions and theories that I have here. So one question I had is I did the math here and I tried to guess how old Kate Bishop was in the opening scene of episode one. And she didn't seem like she was 10 or 12 years old. I think she was a lot younger. So it makes me wonder, was she actually blipped? Did she get blipped out of existence for those five years? We don't know that yet. And maybe it'll come up later. Who knows? But I want to hear from you. Do you think Kate was blipped? Another question that I have is we're going to see Clint and Yelena here, right? We know that Yelena is going to show up in the series. And, and I say that to a certain extent. I know when they first announced it, IMDB said that Yelena is going to be in it for all six episodes. Now looking at it, this is all four ep- like remaining episodes. So who knows You know how much of a role she actually has in this. But remember, Clint still feels that survivor's guilt. So my guess is that when he and Yelena square off eventually, he may be thinking about letting her kill him. I don't think he'll actually do it because he is a family man and he loves his family and he did all that to get his family back. But again, it's a heavy burden and he might just have a moment where he thought about that. And I remember foreshadowing going back to when Clint was talking to Grills and he says I'm begging you to kill me. Again, it's a funny line but it could be foreshadowing. And maybe he says that again. Who knows? That that could be far-fetched, I know, but I do think that the Survivor's Guild is going to play when Clint and Yelena square off, and I think Clint's just going to be reminded of him that, and he is just going to be drowned in that sorrow again, right? Now, let's talk about Kazi a little bit. We saw him in the first episode. We did see him in the second episode, but he didn't have a whole lot of presence there. But I think he's going to have a bigger role. Maybe he's a theory I have is maybe he's a long lost brother of Kate. I don't know how that would work without Kate knowing, but um, maybe it's, you know, a a half brother that if Derek Bishop is still alive, you know, maybe that's how he knows her. Right. So it'll be very different. It'd be very new if they did that. Um, But I do think that they're going to reveal him to have a bigger role than what we're seeing in them because they are laying into that a little bit heavily with the way that he just kind of gazes and looks at people as though like he knows them or he's surprised by them. Right. Now, Clint, as I said earlier, does he know Jack as swordsman? Did they train together when he was Ronin? Is that why Jack is interested in the sword? I don't know. So I think that'll be a question that I'm going to keep poking at. Um, the last few things I want to say are big things about things that might happen in the series down the road. So let's go back to Eleanor Bishop. Again, I think it's really odd how Eleanor Bishop is acting here and if you've read the comics, you know that one of Kate Bishop's main villains is Madame Mask. And she is a villain that is known for wearing a mask because at one point her face was disfigured, but then it got fixed. But she still wearing the mask. And she's also a supervillain. I don't think she has any superpowers per se, except for like a weird, like, you know, anti-aging thing that she and her father was doing. Um, but I could see MCU probably retconning for Eleanor Bishop to be... Madam Mask and makes me wonder is Jack also in this as well? So let's keep an eye out for that. Maybe this is what the secret is with Eleanor Bishop that she is a villain, that she's actually Madam Mask, and that she has a bigger role, and that maybe she's also connected to the Tracksuit Mafia. Who knows, right? The last thing, and this is a rumor that we've all seen and heard about, is Kingpin. And I mentioned him earlier. Kingpin has been rumored to show up in the show. And it's been rumored that Vincent D'Onofrio is going to reprise his role from Kingpin and the Daredevil series on Netflix and that he's going to show up for an episode here. Now, again, right now is rumors. No one's really confirmed this. So we just have to wait and see. Right. But if he does show up, it does make a lot of sense, given we know in the comics that he adopted Echo. So if this is the case in this series, it probably means that Kingpin is going to be a reboot because we didn't see Echo or any indication that. Uh, Kingpin had an adopted daughter or anything like that in the series of Daredevil and Netflix. So we might see that possibly the person that is the boss of the tracksuit mafia. Cause in the Hawkeye comics, we do see Fisk sewing up a few times and he's clearly calling the shots with the other crime bosses in New York city. And he's kind of leader of them. And at one point in the comics, he even calls for the death of Kate Bishop, which her father agrees to because he's also a crime boss. So, if he does show up, it does make sense that he would show up in this show. So overall, these two episodes are great. In my opinion, I think this is going to be a fantastic show. And I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being one of the best they've ever produced and that they get a second season, like announcing it at the end, like they did Loki. So I'm absolutely loving this. I hope you all too. So there you have it. Those are my reviews and my thoughts about this episode. And that wraps up another TV review mini episode of The Caption Life. We hope you enjoyed listening. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button on whatever major podcast platform you listen to us on. You can also follow us on social media under the username at Caption Life. If you like what we're doing, give us a shout-out and tag us in your post. For more information about us and all of our previous episodes, visit thecaptionlife.com. Until next time, watch the next episode of Hawkeye.